guys, welcome back to Basic Snitches. I'm Tara. Alexa, turn on the light in the living room. I'm Adam. And that's also Alexa. Don't say her name again, she'll do something. Yeah, this is Basic Snitches. <laughs> Hello. With today, we are discussing chapter 17, 17 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, educational decree number 24. Number way too many fucking educational decrees. I uh, know. What were the first 23? <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Right? I, before we talk about that chapter, I have winner loser. Oh, last I thought chapter. you were gonna be like, I have to confess, I'm a raspy potato bitch today. Well, yeah. You have to acknowledge that, of course. Sorry, this is just what I sound like today, guys. Apologies. <laughs> Yesterday morning, I got my booster as well, so I've been kind of like lethargic all day. So this is what you have to deal with. Mine is next Friday. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. I hope you don't go to the same one that I went to because I had to wait. We'll see. I'm sure I'll still have to wait. Oh. For my original shots, I went to Rootstown, remember? Oh, yeah. Which is like 50 minutes away or something like that. And so this time I went to a Walgreens in Mayfield Heights, which was much better. It was like 15 minutes. Good but... old Portage County. That's where Ashley lives. Not in Rootstown. She lives in Kent, but... Oh, I hope not. Rootstown I... is in Portage County. I was like, I'm going to get gay bashed here. So I went to this Walgreens in Mayfield Heights, which was much closer, but ooh, I don't think that they were prepared <laughs> for all oh. of us. I did my originals at uh, Walgreens in Maslin, and it was very, very well done. At the very least, after they did it, I didn't have to sit around for 10 minutes or anything, and I was like, well, I really can't. I could get back and do some work and stuff, so. <laughs> I didn't start feeling that way, all lethargic and, and everything. I got the chills like it did with my after my second shot, too, mm-hmm. until that evening, too, so it definitely took quite a while before that set in, but... And the other thing, of course, is that it's Christmas time. It is Christmas time. This episode will come out not Christmas time. No, it'll be sometime in January. Sometime in January, but... Or maybe I, February. I'm drinking out of a Santa wine glass. Yes, Tara is Santa right now. Ho, I, ho, ho, bitches. Mine just says, making spirits bright. Yes. Wine counts as spirits. Oh, also I'm 35 now. You can learn more about my 35th birthday and how Tara is sick, which you kind of already probably figured that out, in our Patreon exclusive this week. Go to patreon.com slash basic snitches and subscribe for only $3 a month to have access to all of our exclusive Patreon recordings we record every single week. And we acknowledge all of you patrons in every single one of our episodes and it's time for us to do that as well so thank you very much as always to our patrons Layla, Nisi, Olivia, Mary Beth, Brittany, Ashley, and Brian. Now on with the rest of the episode. Winner loser of chapter 16. I had a really hard time choosing a loser. Wait a minute, hold on. I even remember when I was reading this I was like this is my guess but then I forgot what happened. So that's that's when they go to the hog's head. And- oh yes. So who do you think the loser is? Zachariah Smith. Okay. Who do you think the winner is? Harry. Okay. Like I said, I had a really hard time choosing a winner and loser of the chapter. Ultimately, I'm giving the chapter a no loser. Really? Oh my God. Has this happened yet? Uh, I think it maybe once. Maybe I did a no winner before. Zach Smith was, of course, the front runner, but I follow his hesitation, especially because he, he does come around. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's very aggressive and not necessarily likable in the chapter, but I don't think it earns him. Like, the losers of these chapters are people like Umbridge and Draco and the boys when they're being douchey. And yeah, his reservations made sense, and we spent enough time with him, and I feel like giving him a loser status this time. Yeah, well, similarly, I think... He didn't get any points, but he didn't get negative points for me. The winner of the chapter was Harry. I think that Harry earned this win. I think that there could have been an argument for Hermione. Mm-hmm. But what I really loved is, and I think I said a lot of it in the last episode too, it's just he's absolutely honest with everyone. He doesn't try to be anything more than he's not. He's very honest about how, like, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't have survived that, that, or that, but... This is all we got. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't. And I think that we're hitting a point in the book where Harry's got to have his redeeming moments because the end of the book is rough for him in different ways than the beginning was. So Harry really, really earned this one, I think. Oh, he sent you the thing that I wrote. I was just going to say, you did not send me the thing. Yeah, you better get ready. Tara's very coffee today, too. I'm sorry. I'm better than I was. She even came with coffee. I did. Uh, please Which, insert I mean, a sound effect. A what? A coffee pour? I don't know. Like, Whatever. The same thing that the Trelawney one is. <laughs> Are they going to be able to tell it's coffee and not wine? <laughs> oh, it's very short. It's very short. All right. Ready, ladies and gentlemen? And everybody in between? Chapter 17. The educational treat. All right, well, it's short, but it doesn't mean I'm going to read it well. Chapter 17, Educational Decree number 24. Harry's weekend continues to be lovely. Then Monday happens, and it's difficult to say who is having the worst day, Harry, Trelawney, or Hedwig. Of course, the whole reason behind this is due to the existence of Pink Bitch. So in case you ever thought your Mondays could be worse, I guess be glad you don't have um bitch to worry about. Speaking of worrying about that pink home, Monday ends up being a not-so-great day for Sirius 2. Umbridge ruins everything. <laughs> that was like the only way to do that chapter. Yeah, this one is a very transitionary chapter. There's some background in it. And there's a lot of little details, but there's nothing huge necessarily that happens in the chapter. It feels like a lot of repackaging things that we've learned in the last chapter. There's a lot of importance of in this chapter. Here's the thing. The worst is that I spent a lot of time on that because I kept trying to like write one and I got too far into it and I was like no this doesn't work so I'd start over and it had to be really short well I appreciate you trying to make them simple but you can make them as chaotic as you want which is kind of ironic because your voice raspy like this makes you sound a little bit more demure and calm than you usually are I don't know Mm -hmm. how to explain that I am glad I guess I don't know and you're looking very classy today too oh thank you I I did dress nicely today which is very unusual yes I know Listen, this is a place of comfort because I'm here with my friends and they're... <laughs> my friends. Yeah, because Plural, the kittens are because here. Because the cats are here too. And I know that I can wear whatever the fuck and not be judged too harshly or not really give a shit if I'm being judged. Well, it's not going to be the same today with your tits not hanging out, so... I'm sorry. That's okay. Next time, you'll just have to make it up by coming completely naked. <laughs> just going to just like put a, a cardigan over... Over my bra, just like slowly. Not bra? No. <laughs> ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Let's talk about this chapter. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, we realized that in so many words, Umbridge found out about the Dumbledore's army thing with it not being called Dumbledore's army yet. While I was reading it, somebody had said, this is not a coincidence. And I think I agree. It's not. The only thing is, is that she can't prove it. 
which is why she just goes big. So how did she figure it out? Because I wrote down, was it my dumbness? Was it Zach? Obviously, we know that it wasn't Zach. Because also in this chapter, we find out that the old witch lady was actually Mendungus. Right, like remember when I was like, it was like a mind fuck. That was You're the like, only one that I didn't rude. know. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? So do you know how she figured this out? Because I remember when we were watching the movie last time, they come back from Hogsmeade and she's like standing in the clock tower looking down as if to be like, they're doing something behind my back. And we were like, this bitch ain't psychic. I think that there's someone else, like some rando that's in there, Hogshead too. That, like, isn't connected to anyone. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that, like, Mundungus. It wasn't Mundungus. No, Mundungus is one who serious in the, yeah. in the order. No. Here's the thing about Mundungus. He sucks. He's not bad. Yeah. He's a chaotic good. But, I wouldn't say he's neutral either. I mean, he is technically a good guy, but he sucks. Yeah. Similar to Zach. Well, and Zach's a student, you know? Yeah. So I think this is like me trying to remember the last book. I think Mundungus comes back to fight the Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah, I think he does too. But I, I honestly, like, it's been so long. Yeah, same here. Well, but re- anyway, regardless, she finds out somehow, she puts this educational decree <clears throat> out that is like all student groups are henceforth disbanded, disbanded. and you must get approval. I know we're not quite there yet, but of course the Slytherin Quidditch team immediately gets approved and then the Gryffindor got to jump through hoops, which as a Slytherin, I'm like, cool, but that is also not very fair. It's also like really not fun for the other Quidditch teams. Like, I don't know how quickly it was for Hufflepuff. Yeah. Like, oh, wow, there's three teams to play. Woo. Ex- that's how a exciting good for our one sport we play. Or even if like all the other houses had to jump through hoops. Let's right. just say that it was like that. Congratulations, you know that Slytherin. Yeah. You, who are you going to wow. play against? Well, you win by default. That should make you feel real good about yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, knowing some of these motherfuckers, it probably does make them feel good about themselves. Right. I don't know who says that it's a... We'll probably come across it as we go through. So this can't be a coincidence. Probably Harry. That's not suspicious at all. That everyone would be like, suddenly we can't have... Well, Why? The people who don't know about this group and who are, like, just, you know, being regular students. Yeah, like, like, what what, what was this all about? Like, there was one person who was like, oh, does this mean Gobstone Club is canceled? Yeah, because Gobstone Club is probably really harmful. I mean, it doesn't sound pleasant. No one likes her. Not just the students in Dumbledore's army. The only people who end up liking her are the ones that she eventually gives more power to. The brown nosers. Yeah, like, ew. Quiet little second-year Tommy Jones who doesn't know about this defense group is probably just being like, but I just wanted to play wizard chess with my friends, you know? like Yeah, you know, this is an interesting way to look at it because it shows how much of a vendetta Umbridge has and it's becoming personal. And I think if you are one of those students, not even necessarily knowing about this vendetta, it feels very kind of apparent. Oh yeah, anyone who has their eyes opened knows that she has a thing against Harry. And they're probably thinking, well, Harry's really a Quidditch player, so this is just to fuck around with their Quidditch team because she likes to cause trouble for him. Mm -hmm. And then they end up not getting the ability to play again right away. Then Harry gets kicked off the team in a couple chapters. The whole fucking school is like, why does this woman hate him so much? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so if we're feeling that now before some of this other stuff happens, other people have got to be clued into this too, especially when... The last few years, it was all about Harry. It was the Harry show and everything. Right. So now this bitch is coming in and has a vendetta. And it's almost, in a weird way, like an opposite of the last book. 
even though, you know, his popularity wasn't great at the beginning of this one, and it is turning around and everything. That's a really interesting way to kind of look at how people are reacting to this. There's one other detail here that I know is canon in my mind, and I can't believe that it shows up this late in the series, and that's when they try to go tell Hermione. They run up the stairs and they turn, oh. it turns into a slide. They're just now finding this out. And I was like, whoa, it's in the fifth book is when we find out about it? That's late. It's very interesting that that's when we find out about it. Like, they haven't tried this before? I mean, clearly the people we follow in the series have not. But I would like to think that it happens. Not to Harry and Ron. Yeah, and yeah. those are the two that we're hanging out with. Yeah. Like, there's definitely other characters that we know, like Fred and George. Oh, yeah. Fred and George did it, like, or their second Lee, year. You know? And they probably didn't do it because they like girls. They just wanted to, like, be assholes. Yeah, yeah. They're, Fred and George. they're just fucking around. Because it does say that, oh, it's kind of an outdated thing where the founders thought that males were less trustworthy. I'm like, well, the founders were correct. Males are less trustworthy Yes. Than if we look at history in general, men suck. Oh, my God. That was the theme on the episode of... In Death this week, too. Oh, my God. In Death, sponsor us. We'll, we'll talk more about them <laughs> shortly. Men, I mean, men suck is kind of the theme of the world. People, I world. think, are waking up to realizing that if you don't white know heteronormative that, I'm not men, sure what's going on with you, but you should already know that. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're listening to this podcast. I feel like you know. But so, yeah, I wanted to bring that up because I was like, oh, my God, that is very late for this to be. It is. I didn't think about that, but you're right. And then when the plot kind of progresses, they are sitting in History of Magic. Yes. And that's when Hedwig comes to the window and Hedwig is like, bitch, let me in. And Harry's like, you ain't allowed to come in here, baby. This is a classroom. And Bedwig's like, I don't give a fuck. My wing hurt. And so he opens the window. Hedwig hops on in and is like, here, I got you a letter. Now take me somewhere where my wing won't hurt anymore and so he's like hey professor bins i gotta take a big shit and <laughs> bins is like okay peace and bins calls him perkins yeah uh-huh i was like that is some percy action right there all right this is my personal theory about professor bins he has no idea what day of the week it is what year it is who the fuck any of these students are. Not at all. He just kind of floats around and then he goes in that classroom and if there are students, he just starts talking. He's on autopilot. He probably still does not realize he's dead. I kind of love I don't, this. <laughs> Professor Bins. Oh, I can totally actually see that being but the, just the Also, I will stand up for you, dude. You clearly love your subject. I had a history teacher like that in high school. Yeah. He removed the clock from the wall. You were not allowed to look at the clock. When I think about it, I, I majored in English because a lot of my English teachers and my um, reading teachers also like inspired me a lot more too. So that was kind of the obvious one, I guess, for me. And then that's when I also started to branch out into marketing and everything too. But looking back at like the quality of other teachers, history is one that was pretty well split. I remember my eighth grade history teacher, Mr. Haas. He was another one who was really kind of eccentric and fun. But then there are other ones, like, I can't even remember this guy's name, but I, one of my high school history teachers was the stereotype of the history teacher who is just there so they can coach a sport. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that Professor Bins never coached a sport. He probably hasn't watched a Quidditch match since... He was a student. Probably. And he probably went just because he was bored or whatever. Mm -hmm. He finished reading all of the historical textbooks in the library. It's an interesting 
teacher to make the ghost, I think. I mean, the fact that it's history as well, of course, there's a little tongue-in-cheekness there. As an adult, too, I mean, I guess maybe just in general. I was going to say I have a better appreciation for, obviously, math. We've talked ad nauseum about it. I'm a math person now. And then um, history as well. Like, history is always something that I get really, really fascinated with. Science, for me, if we're talking, like, subjects, is the one where... For whatever reason, I was in, like, advanced science classes when I was a kid. There was no way I was going to become a a doctor or something. (laughs) I was in advanced science and English. It's not that I'm necessarily, like, more fascinated by science, but I appreciate it. I know that it's very important. I agree with you. I was never good at science, though. I think it's all about the teachers you have, which is why I think that Professor Binns, I'm happy for him for being very excited about his subject. He's clearly not a strong teacher, though, because everyone falls asleep during his class yep and i feel like having a class taught by a ghost should be interesting don't you yeah i think so too but apparently not in this circumstance yeah i will say that is true a lot of my science teachers were super super cool too just in general oh yeah like one of my favorite classes at the university of akron was my biology lecture Mm -hmm. i had a different professor for lab which sucked because he was terrible but my lecture professor i was like why do i love this class so much she was wonderful. Mm-hmm. She was just like, she was a good teacher who knew her stuff and she knew how to engage a classroom. Everyone was the general education requirement and the University of Akron, you were required to do eight credit hours and four of them had to be with a lab. So like, there are all these people in this class, you know, they're taking it because they have to. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know, so, and she, she made it really fun. I feel very grateful that I had that. High school was hard enough and then like I tried to take a college level Class on something I don't give a shit about. Like, mm-hmm. she was great. I wish I could remember Uh-oh, her name. He's about to lick your hair. I he can lick tell. it if he wants. Well, he doesn't All eat right, it like then. fucking you hear that, Marla. She eats my hair. Start licking. It's interesting that we kind of went on this, this tangent on so we, we, you know, we have never really talked about Bins, so I, yeah. I stand for this conversation. It, it, it's an interesting one, too. Out of all the teachers we do on the regular, too, that aren't necessarily in the forefront, it's worth doing a little aside on him, so... And he lets Harry take Hedwig out, even though he doesn't know about Hedwig, he just thinks he's sick and his name is Perkins. He has to take a big shit. He's like, Perkins got a shit. Go shit. He's like, it happens to all of us, kid. It's fine. I'll just keep talking. So Harry doing a really smart thing and checking and seeing, okay, well, it seems like Grubbly Plank doesn't have a class. Goes to the teacher's lounge. These gargoyles can talk all of a sudden. Gargoyles are rude, too. They're like, oh, I guess it's important. Fuck you. Fuck you, yes. But also, I was like, why are we just now learning about the slide and gargoyles can talk? I was like, a little surprised. I was like, okay, cool. I mean, yes, they are a little bit rude and nosy and stuff. And I love how, A, McGonagall is the first one to come to the door and is like, you better not have gotten detention again. I will whoop your ass. Right. She's and like, he's oh. like, no, Hedwig's hurt. And then Grubbly Plank comes to the door and I was like, oh, she's been growing on me more and more. I love her. Bitch is smoking a pipe. <laughs> Starting now, I'm like... First of all, Grubbly Plank is a lesbian. Absolutely. 100%. She is like the coolest fucking lesbian. You know that she does, I don't know, like canning. She makes all of her own jams and stuff. She probably won the blue ribbon at the local fair for her pickles. Oh my God. Something I like love that. Her. She gets out her monocle. Oh my God, she does get out the monocle. And, and like, I love it. I don't know. Something about here, I was like, Grubbly Plank, you are, I, I stand Grubbly Plank now. I love her. I'm sorry. We love Hagrid. We do. We do. We love Hagrid. But bring in Grubbly Plank. Grubbly Plank, you can be this professor. He can go back to being gamekeeper. 
then he doesn't need to get all stressed out with all this grading and stuff. Oh my gosh, they co-teach. They could co-teach. And you know, that would fucking big old bear Hagrid with the like supreme lesbian grubbly plank. Hell yeah. They're the co-advisors for the Gay Straight Alliance at Hogwarts. I was down for this. When I read this, I was like, Grubbly Plank is Quen now. She has huh. elevated to that status. And she takes Hedwig to take care of her. Hedwig is not necessarily pleased about it. But she just, she don't know this woman. Once she gets to know her, she's probably like, I fucking love this bitch. Probably. she. They were probably smoking pipes together. Right. Hedwig's like, uh, I should go get you a croissant. Probably. Uh, we already know that Hedwig. I know, that I know she, all the good croissants are. We already know that Hedwig also smokes because she had that cigarette hanging on her beak when she, she went sure to France. Did. So, uh, Grubbly Plank, girl, let's hang out. Do you want to form, like, a knitting club at Hogwarts? She would be that bitch. So, you go, Grubbly Plank. This character is the one that I maybe made the biggest, like, transition from being like, mm, I'm not so sure about you, to being like, I fucking love you. Yeah, she's great. McGonagall will be like, uh, Harry, where was the Hedwig coming from, huh? Harry's like, bitch, you know! You know she was in London! You know I don't know anybody! So yes, there's that little aside there, which is important because then that brings up the conversation of people trying to, to steal Harry's mail. We learn that the little note says same time, same place in Sirius's handwriting, which we'll get into later, of course. There is a point where I think maybe it's because they go to potions and there's all this potions bullshit. And the potion, but the fight before potions? That's what I'm getting at. The fight before potions where Neville gets scrappy and I'm like... Neville, go off, honey. That whole sequence is so frustrating. I'm cheering Harry on. Hermione's like, don't play into this bullshit from Malfoy. And Harry's like, all right, I got this. And then he, like, sees how Neville reacts. And then you, like, get that reminder that Harry does know why Neville reacts that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Harry, you're a good dude. He's such a good guy for that. And, like, he doesn't even bother arguing with Snape for him and Ron Mm -hmm. and Neville fighting. He's like, it's not going to do me any good. Mm-hmm. Today already sucks. It's just going to get worse. And the whole thing just makes me go, these are the people who are here to stand for this child. Even though Ron doesn't know what's going on. He's like, no, no, no. He helps Harry. Once Harry's like, Ron, wait the fuck up and help me. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure Neville is bigger than Harry. Like, Harry's not a big dude, you know? They're 15 years old. They're in this stage where Neville's probably getting a gross spurt. Like, so probably a lot for Harry to hold back. Yeah. Neville is not going to hear sense. He's so upset. And God bless him. I understand. Absolutely. I was like, this is Neville showing that he's not just like a pushover and everything. Sure. Okay, maybe Crab and Goyle would have beat the shit out of Neville. But if they weren't there, I have full confidence that Neville would have been able to beat the shit out of Draco. Oh, yeah. Or Draco would have used a curse on him, probably. Maybe. Which is annoying. And then Neville would have gotten points taken away. Right. points and, and well, everything. Well, the other thing was that's frustrating is that, obviously, State does not see the instigation. Again. Oh, I think he does. But... Oh, I don't think he does. Whether he does or not, he's always going to give Malfoy yeah. the pass. That's another thought that came to my mind was that he actually knows the truth about Neville's parents. Yeah. And if he had heard the instigation, he'd have understood it. He still would have done exactly what he did. Okay. That is true. And Part I, of me almost wonders if he would have been a little bit more lenient, but I think that maybe that's just I don't know that he would have been. I think, I think in his... I think in his mind, there would have probably been some sort of hesitation, mm-hmm. um, but it's, Harry's involved. As soon as Harry's involved and he sees that mini James Potter, he's just like, oh, fuck this guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's just terrible. So here's a question. Do you think that Snape genuinely likes Malfoy? No. 
I think that he's just a tool. He is. I think he's... That has double meaning. That has double (laughs) meaning. (laughs) You all know what those meanings are. They know. Our listeners are smart. They know. Because... He's a fucking tool. He is a tool, but... (laughs) But Snape is using him as a tool to get back at Harry, which is interesting. Like, I never looked at it that way. I think he's using Draco in more ways than that. I think his connection to Draco and his need to play both sides, obviously from Dumbledore's end, Draco is an easy tool for him to use Mm. because Draco knows he's got him on his side already. I mean, that's a lot of how the sixth book is for the two of them anyway. Him continuing to always favor Draco keeps him in good with Lucius in Voldemort's little inner circle. Yeah, that's true too. So I think... Malfoy is incredibly handy for Snape. Yeah. And also, he gets this gross satisfaction of what you said, him being able to use Malfoy against Harry and just kind of get to watch, like, like, oh, this is so easy. I can use this to be rude to mini James Potter and... You know, this is maybe a special episode idea for the far future. Looking at Snape and the trajectory and areas of where he uses these students to kind of further his own agenda since he's a double agent. But we'll get there. That's, yeah, that's a fun idea. Let us know if you like that idea, listeners. Yeah. And then the only other thing that's noteworthy is that this is where Umbridge is looking after Snape. And we get some of those instances where Snape is sassy back to Umbridge, which, cool, we appreciate it in this instance. We really do, because also he flat out says the important line of, this is important, why, bitch? And I'm like, I'm totally on your side, Snape. I mean, I will always choose Snape over Umbridge. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. The other thing that popped out to me is when, well, in this class, they are creating a strengthening solution. There are so many times, I think in Snape's class in particular, where I'm like, I could use this. Yeah. But also, this is where Umbridge says... The ministry probably would not like this to be taught, so we're just going to remove that from the syllabus. I'm like, interesting that the ministry doesn't want the students to be learning about anything that will strengthen them. I think that's a little, like, hidden thing in there of, like, they want these kids to be weak. I mean, that's what this whole chapter is, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, any group of three people or more meeting together, you don't want that because... You think Dumbledore is raising an army. Yeah. That is Fudge's complete paranoia about everything. This is obviously brought on by the meeting in the Hogshead, but think about the hesitation to put the Gryffindor team back together. Yes, it's fun to have the vendetta against Harry, but also those seven students could be talking about something else, not practicing for Quidditch. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Like, there are friend groups larger than just the trio. What if, you know, they decided to hang out with Neville? That is a group above three. Like, three is too small. (laughs) Not that this should be a thing anyways, but why even nitpick Umbridge's shit when it's bullshit Well, I mean, it is a regular meeting of, but still, y'all are clearly paranoid. Anyone with a brain can see it. Yeah. It would have been maybe a little bit more smart for her to say groups seven, a group of eight and over. Make it easier on yourself, girl. Whoever told you this knows how many kids were at Hogshead. Then you don't have to worry about the Quidditch teams at the very least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. She is a crusty bitch. We we know this. 
And then we go to Trelawney's class. Trelawney's class. So Trelawney is in a mood. She is in a mood. Y'all know that I love Trelawney, and I have actually been really hard on her, because I do think there's a lot of issues with her. But this is one area where I really do think that there's some truth to what she says in terms of this being a slap in the face. Yes, but Trelawney boasts too much. She says some things that are harmful, I think, to students about this being, well, you have it or you don't, kind of bullshit. And I think that a lot of that comes from a lack of confidence, but do I think Trelawney is a true seer? Yes, I do. Like, that's that's part of this book and everything. I think I they're... Mean, she, she's a key player in this whole fucking plot. Yeah, serious. I definitely feel for Trelawney. In divination in general, and obviously we see that with her as the character who represents divination, Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of a softer side. We've talked about this being a humanity and something a little bit softer, so I think that there is some vulnerability there. You know, in order to, to get ready for divination, whether you're scrying or you're doing tarot or whatever the case may be, you need to kind of center yourself and become a little bit more mindful in everything anyways. So she is probably this sensitive person. So I definitely felt really, really bad for Trelawney. It's also somewhat refreshing to see her getting a little pissed. Oh my god, she's like literally throwing a fit in the mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I've been so insulted. And and like watching the kids kind of react to her, you know, Pavardi and Lavender, really. Oh, one thing about Lavender I wanted to say really quick. Lavender gets bonus points Spoiler alert for saying that Hedwig is beautiful. Well, she is. She she is Lavender beautiful. is correct. She is correct. I thought you said she's cracked, which would also be correct. Oh, correct. Because Lavender, man. Oh, Lavender. She is a kid. She is a kid. We'll get more into her character in the next book, I think. But yes, and that's one area, too, where you see some of the students sticking up for Trelawney. My biggest wish for Trelawney, because she's being dramatic in either situation. You know, she's angry now and she's being as dramatic as possible. Maybe it is core to her personality, but I would like to see her be a little bit more genuine, because I don't think anything that we've seen with her is super genuine. Yeah, she's never really shown any, like, in, in being genuine, trying to say a different word, but... As you were saying that, I mean, vulnerability, I think, is the other word that I would put here. It, it feels like it fits. Like, if she were being truly vulnerable, I feel like we would see this, like, facade kind of go away, and we'd be able to see a little bit of the real Trelawney. Yeah, I like her because she's a little bit sensational. I appreciate all the incense and the drapery and everything, but but I want to see that, guys, I'm a real seer, and I'm a human, too, and I have these emotions, you know? Yeah, Rather than her just becoming more flamboyant. She is just very dramatic. Yeah. Which, hey, once again, I can appreciate. I tend to be similar, so... <laughs> But, like, it would make it more special if we were to see some more, like, realness. Regardless, her feelings are valid, and I really feel for her in this Absolutely. And then we actually go to Mm -hmm. Defense Against the Dark Arts really briefly. I wrote, literally, I'm glad that that portion was literally, like, a couple sentences, because we don't need to see any more of this. No. Half up? This bitch. I'm trying to find more words that describe her that aren't bitch and Honestly. I mean, I've never called her that one, but... I have. I have. She's a a twat. I know some people don't like twat either, but that is a word that I feel comfortable not bleeping. Less is more. Also, at one point during this whole part, uh, before we get to Sirius, hybrid houses are acknowledged in the book on page 368. 
they're putting a potion together or something, and oh. it says Griffin Claw. That's because it's a Griffin Claw. Yeah, but that also is acknowledging that there's hybrid houses. I, I appreciate that. Yes. Like Dan Hunsaker, who says he's a Gryffindor, but he's a Griffin Claw. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Slither Claw, I think. I am not. You're a Griffin Puff. Are you? 100%. I was like... 100%. 100%. Like, I feel like if there is any case for somebody to be, like, a hybrid, it's you. <laughs> okay. And Neville Longbottom, because we're the same. Sure. He also would be a Griffin Puff. But then, of course, we get to the end of the chapter, and that is Firehead number t- three? Is this the third fire? This is probably the third Firehead. This is number two in this book, in obviously. This call yeah. was serious from a perspective of Sirius not being a dick, I think, goes better. Yes. I appreciate how Ron is like, oh, my mom said that. Great. And then I realized Sirius is like, she would put it in a letter, but, you know, can't. I'm like, this is so awful. They cannot have conversations with with their their parents. Yeah. What the fuck? Because this bitch is prying into people. She's creating a federal offense. Like, they really should have been like... Okay, so Creating you need to be able to talk life. to your parents, even if it's fucking, like, something that maybe they shouldn't be talking to them about. They know, like, they were at the headquarters. Like, they should be able to be like, McGonagall, here's a letter from my mom. McGonagall should have, like, the rights to... Oh, I like that do, idea. ...you know, do a visit or whatever without bitch. But here's the thing. She couldn't use the flu network because it's being watched. You know, Dumbledore should have done because he does what the fuck he wants and no one can track him. He should have offered this to the children. That's yeah, what I think. Yeah. A Dumbledore continues to fail in communications. He could easily be like, okay, Minerva, I need you to tell all those hoes who was staying at the Order of the Phoenix uh, headquarters. Grimmauld Place. Grimmauld Place, thank you. They probably need to talk to the parents, and they might need to say things that we don't want that pink bitch upstairs to know about. So tell them to write the letters and then get them to me, and I will take them because bitch won't track me because I'm fucking Dumbledore. That's all you need to do, Dumble. Yeah, at least something. There's, I haven't even thought so about that. so upset for these children. Especially, like, after Arthur is attacked. Yeah, he's obviously on the mend, but he ain't 100%. Your dad literally almost died on Christmas. It's, like, January 5th, and you have to be back at school, and you're like, it'd be great if I could, you know... Check on my dad, but I anything can't I write only is this... going to be read by this bitch. Yeah, and then she gets to decide if it's worth you seeing. Right. It's like super private information and everything. Yeah, she she sucks. Because she um, probably thinks it's like code. Anyway. Yeah, right, because clearly she's overthinking every single thing <clears throat> based on the things that she's doing in this chapter. Now, Molly does sort of have a point here uh, because they are kids. I get yeah. it. They're there to learn and everything. But once again... Just like I did previously, I'm on Sirius's side. The theme throughout this book is that things are more serious than everybody is playing on. Sure, Voldemort isn't out there, you know, murdering people left and right yet or anything. At least not out in the open. This is an opportunity for everybody to do what they can to get prepared. I think because of that alone, Molly had said something like, you will have plenty of time to learn this stuff when you're out of school. I'm like, if they make it out of school... I think that's very much like a mom thing, probably. It totally is. She's probably having this conversation with Sirius, even though in the back of her mind she's probably recognizing the importance of it and hoping that they can make it until Christmas so they can all fucking talk about it together as a family. Yeah. Because she obviously knows something's coming. They know mm-hmm. that Pinko is dangerous. I don't think Molly 
100% is against the idea of this. She just wants her hands, I think, a little more in the decision making there. If she could fast forward it to Christmas when they're all home and like sit down with them and be like, you know, I want you guys to learn this stuff. Maybe we don't have a secret group about it, but you know, Harry, you want to teach your friends this? Mm-hmm. You know, just the three of you. Sure, whatever. like in, in a more controlled environment and everything. I mean, I would love to fast forward to Christmas sometimes. Yeah, that means a day off. I love Christmas. I know. Yes, we're That's sitting in front of my Christmas tree. That's not even my next day off. Too. I don't. I work on Christmas. Next day off is New Year's Day. Oh, oh my God. Well, yeah, I have obviously. <laughs> I think once I get through this upcoming week, then it's like the chill down for the holidays because I'm getting a lot of stuff prepared for 2022. Oh, but, okay. but yeah, I mean, like when you said that, that definitely resonated with me. Fast forward till Christmas. You know, we had already talked a little bit about serious living vicariously through the trio, and I think that he absolutely is and everything. But yeah, I don't know. It's one of those instances once again where. There's some truth to everything. The other thing that kind of comes up here is trying to find a place for Dumbledore's army. Shrieking Shack comes up. And of course they are like, well, it's fine if it was just like four of you, but we have quite a bit more than four. And I was actually thinking about this and was like, why didn't they just have Lupin go into the room of requirement? Would that have been easier? Like they didn't have to worry about this whole thing. But like, did they know about the room of requirement? Because remember, Dumbledore wasn't one hundred percent. Didn't really know about it. See, my thought was more like, what if somebody did know about the room of requirement? I'm sure someone did, but maybe not someone who knew about. Because I think that there were only three people who knew that Lupin was a werewolf, mm. and it was Dumbledore, McGonagall, and Pomfrey. Okay. Because McGonagall is his head of house, and Dumbledore is Dumbledore. Yeah. Pomfrey literally says that she knew. I think there's more magic opportunities for this too. Like I always go back to saving Neville with the mattress in the first book. There may have been more opportunities rather than creating this like creepy building. In, right? But if it's neither here nor there. Wizards are idiots. Yeah, I feel like there would have been an easier situation. The Shrieking Shack, by the way, is somewhere over here in my Harry Potter Christmas village. Ooh, I can't, I'm literally going to like creep on it a little bit. You should. But I don't have a kitten sleeping on together. Oh, yes. Look at him. Look at his little pals. Oh, no. He's so cute, even though he's kind of a demon. Well, yes. It's okay. Me too, Bentley. The only other thing I have in this chapter is fucking uh, Umbridge intercepts the call. That is the end of the fucking chapter is like, this just can't get, get any better. Or you any see worse. this like chubby hand like clawing right? in the fire. The way it's described, you're like, oh shit. It's kind of terrifying. Uh-huh. Like if that was me, I'd be like, what? Like this bitch is listening in on my calls. And I had written down like, doesn't she have better things to do? But no. as we have talked about in this episode already, clearly she doesn't. This is her mission. This is why she is High Inquisitor, I'm sure, is so that she has more freedom to cross boundaries that should not be crossed. Absolutely. She real good at it, too. Mm -hmm. Today's game, we are doing something that we have kind of only used for Patreon recently. And that is Fuck, Mary Kill! I think this might be my first <laughs> fuck, marry, kill of the season, too. Okay. So we are fuck, marrying, killing three things that Umbridge does in uh, this chapter. So it's not going to be an easy fuck, marry, kill by any means. I don't great. think. Would you rather have Umbridge read your mail, listen to your phone calls, or tell you what you can and cannot do? I'm going to kill that one. 
Yeah. Kill her telling me what I can and cannot do. Well, I want to talk on the phone, so I guess I'll marry that. Mm-hmm. What was the other one? Read your mail. Yeah, sure, bitch, read my mail. I'll fuck that. I am similar. Like, I'm definitely killing her telling me yeah, what I want to do. Yeah, you can't know what to do, do, you hoe. Yeah, no. That, that one is out the door immediately. But I think I would marry reading my mail because, yeah, I guess I get it. Like, that is the first form of communication and stuff. But when there is a more efficient communication method, and, like, yeah, she's fucking, she's fucking, I don't want Umbridge fucking anything, especially if it has to do with me. If I, like, I'll fuck her having to listen to my phone calls because it's, like, been the next worst thing. Because in those situations, I think there's two-way communication there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I can learn more from a phone call than I can from a letter. This one is obviously very challenging because you could very well say, you know what, I'll fuck her telling me what to do and everything and kill her listening to any of my communication because that is also kind of important. Like you want to know what's going out there in the world and everything. And if I can get rid of one thing, sure, that might be the most beneficial. But I do not like people telling me what to do. I know. So I'm going to have to kill that. Kill that. It's not realistic for me not to kill that. So yeah, this was actually a little bit of a challenging chapter to come up with a game for. Yeah. Because like I said, it is so transitionary. There's a lot of kind of recaps. There's some little nuggets here and there of like things that move the plot along, but otherwise. Shall we talk about this movie? Yes, what little bit we can. I was going to say, there's very little. We get to see the Umbridge Snape showdown. Yeah, that was which really Which we actually it. watched last time, but it's well done in the movie. First of all, you have two incredible actors sharing this scene where they both are clearly just not okay with each other. So that is really the only thing we actually see in the movie, right? I, I mean, think other so. Other than they put up the thing saying student organizations are hereby disbanded. Like that is that is put true. up in the movie with Filch on a fucking giant ass ladder, you know, which seems very safe. Hey, just like Hogwarts. He's going to be on that ladder. I'm glad it's him. Right. Fall down, break your neck. God That's forbid, a little bit extreme, but... God forbid someone just magics it up there, you know, like the High Inquisitor who should, you know, probably be good enough to fucking put a plaque on the wall. But what do I know, bitch? Plus 15 to Grubbly Plank at Trelawney. Hell yes. But Grubbly Plank, I already talked about how much I really appreciate her in this chapter. Trelawney, I just really felt for her in... I was kind of surprised she was not even on my list yet for this book. She had none taken away, none given. Oh. And I almost feel like in the past for book three and book four, I've taken away more from her. Like, yes, I like her. I like divination and everything. But right. it's a different Trelawney that we see. So I gave her 15. In a similar way, I gave plus 10 to Hedwig because her wing is broken. And we love Hedwig. Oh, and she you. probably went through a, an ordeal having to escape from that pink whore. I know. And then plus 10 also to Sirius and Neville. Neville for getting scrappy and serious. <clears throat> In this case, yes. he Like I said, he is living vicariously oh, yeah. through them. It was nice to see a better firehead call. And I do think we at least got a little bit more information from him the last time. Which last time it was just kind of basic and, and not... We got helpful. him being more serious with Harry rather than serious. <laughs> I know. Serious the person. Like, he's acting like he's talking to Harry, not James. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to he's, put I it. Just, I was so mad at him after the last one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Plus five to Lavender. 
for saying that yeah. Hedwig's beautiful. Because she right. Yes, she doesn't say much, and usually it doesn't have a lot of gravitas to it. But in this case, yeah. I was like, okay, I appreciate what she, she has correct. to say. She's correct. Yes. And then the two people I'm taking points away from, negative 10 to Draco, because that was a bullying moment that was super petty. He is so fucking petty. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then, of course, negative 30 from Umbridge, because she put her grubby little fingers where they don't belong. Bitch, don't touch the owl. Thanks, don't touch the owl, but you can put your hand in that fire. I welcome you to. And with that, we are done with chapter 17. Next time, we will be discussing chapter 18, Dumbledore's, Dumbledore's Army. Army. Honestly, these chapters have been improving. They're not as like dire as they have been, but Dumbledore's Army is a good one. It's a good one. Yes. I'll I'm take it. Looking forward to that. We'll talk to you then. We'll talk to you then enjoy your life yes i hope it's being a good life right now yeah sure what she said <laughs> see you later Bye. basic snitches is recorded and produced by adam bowers and tara corkery thanks so much for listening be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love harry potter and getting drunk yes Join our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!